Hi there, I'm Diego Villegas, and welcome to the Amplifying Persistence podcast. This podcast serves as a platform for college students to share their stories, navigating through institutions of higher education. These next two episodes are extra special since we will be talking to both Gertrude Elendu and Matthew Morris. They are both happily married and attend, or have recently graduated from CSU East Bay. This episode, we will be focusing on Gertrude's story. Gertrude is an international student from Nigeria who majored in political science. CSU East Bay blatantly disrespected Gertrude as it continuously made her journey to a diploma absurdly challenging. However, Gertrude is a very strong and hardworking person and graduated despite of the hardships. She tells us about what being an international student in the United States is like, what staying in status and being out of status means, as well as her goals for the future. Now, on to my conversation with Gertrude. Hi, Gertrude. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing today? Doing very well, well. Thank you. Doing very well, brother. Great. So let's get started with part one of our interview. Um, so, Gertrude, could you start by telling me uh, a little bit about yourself, maybe who you are, uh, where you're from, where you went to school, what you majored in, anything like that to kick us off? Definitely. Yes. So, my name is Gertrude Alendu, and um, I am Nigerian. I came here September, August 30th, 2012. So, I've been here a little a little over nine years now, maybe more or less. Um um, I already said I'm Nigerian, right? Yes, Nigerian. And uh, I went to Cal State East Bay. I majored in political science. And mm-hmm. um, what I hope to do in the future, I want to start my own nonprofit. That is the ultimate goal. I want to do something in my community here and back home. Something that I, uh, something that I am passionate about. Mostly uh, housing women and children, just our society, our community, our lands, pretty much everywhere I could put lay hands on, I want to be there. So that's my ultimate goal as a nonprofit. That's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew, could you also introduce yourself? Maybe similar questions. Um, so yeah, we can um, no problem, man. So my name is Matthew Morris. Um, I um, I'm born and raised in uh, all over the place, but um, primarily Hawthorne in the Los Angeles area. Um, uh, man, um, I'd say the ultimate goal for my education was just to really build bridges. So every aspect of my education process has been um, how can I take what I'm learning right now and help someone either around me or proverbially behind me to you know get them up to same speed. Um, the ultimate goal is to either be um, in some form or fashion, uh, work in public policy in the form of either legislative or um, maybe some kind of a, a diplomacy aspect. And um, the ultimate goal is to reconnect the African mm-hmm. diaspora with our um, uh, American communities, specifically the Black community. Great, thank you. Um, so let's go back to Gertrude. Okay. Um, Gertrude, you mentioned that you majored in political science. Could you tell me about what got you interested in majoring in this? 
Uh, so it didn't always start with political science. I started at first with biological sciences because, um, let's just say, I grew up in a family where we all want doctors, we all want lawyers, we all want, you know, the high-paying jobs. And I did. I liked biology and chemistry a lot in high school. So I'm like, I'm going to do uh, biological sciences. I'm going to see where I fit, and I'm going to just place myself literally in there. Uh, it didn't work out the way I expected it to because I realized that I really dislike physics. So, <laughs> so that was a little discouraging. So I was bouncing around between departments and departments to figure out where exactly I fit in. And um, I went to a talk in school by the sustainability department. And they were talking about environment, a little bit of politics. And uh, I remember speaking to one of my professors and just telling him what motivates me and what drives me. And he said, I should go to the political science department and talk to them. And that maybe I will find something there that, that he believes that I will fit right in in that department. So that's what I did. And I spoke to them and that was it. I was like, this is where I need to be. I chose political science and then my option was in uh, administration and public affairs because I was like, I do like business. I feel like I am a little bit business oriented. So I call that the evil in me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, it's always physics. <laughs> it's always the deterrent for everyone. Um, but let's start from the beginning. Um, could you tell me about your first impressions of CSU East Bay? Oh, gosh. I thought East Bay was beautiful when I first got here. It was To me, it was big. I've never really like been on a university campus before. So to me, East Bay was a big school and um, it was very diverse. It was, it was green. <laughs> so I'm like, I am excited to be here. I want to know more about the school and more about the people because coming from back home, I came from a school where everyone is just, everyone we got along, everyone is accepted. Everyone is just, we love each other. And in East Bay, you see this, uh, what my husband likes to say, we're the rainbow people. And East Bay literally is a whole community of people from all over the world, just in one place. So I absolutely loved it. And I was like excited to just be a part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, did you visit the campus any time before you arrived? No, I did not. Uh, coming to the school for the first time, um, going to the international student's office, just getting myself settled and just knowing a little bit was my first time coming to school. Literally was, yeah, I didn't know anything about the school or what the school looked like until I got there. Mm -hmm. How was your orientation experience like? Oh, that was special. <laughs> uh, so orientation, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know it wasn't normal to have orientation orientation the way we did or the way I did. So basically it was, um, I am assuming all international students that just got, got there during the fall, during that quarter. And um, we were all in Nickel John Hall. And in one, in the biggest room or whichever room that was, and we had different people coming in and talking to us about different, different things in the department or this office or that office. And it was very tiring. It was long, it was a long conversation with 
not even really a conversation, but just someone talking to us and maybe one or two questions being raised. And um, I remember people falling asleep. I remember people yawning. I remember we were tired. We just wanted to be out of that room. And what woke us up was this man, this director, his name, I cannot remember his name right now, but if I see his face, I would know him wherever I see him. He was the director of CIE, and this heavyset white man walks into the hall and wakes everyone up by saying, he was basically saying, uh, this is an education institution. If you're not ready to be here, if you're not serious, if you're not serious about your education, you might as well go back home. Don't waste your time. Don't waste our time. And at that moment, I felt very offended because I, my thing is some of us sacrificed a lot here. Our parents sacrificed for us to be here. And you dare come in front of us to tell us that if we're not serious, we should go back home. Like our home is thousands of miles away from us. Some of us are feeling it at this moment, being in a country we don't know anything about. And I, I felt very insulted. I felt like he wasn't respecting the fact that, that we were here to learn and we were here to expand our horizons. We were here to, you know, bring something back to our families. And he's, and he just makes it seem so little. We spent 18 hours on a flight just because it was comfortable and we were cold and we had a hold, whatever. But it was, it was a horrible experience. And I wish things were different. I wish they had done things a little bit differently for us. Maybe set, put us in separate groups or made orientation a little bit longer, uh, spread over the week or whatever the information they had to give to us. And all the information they gave to us in one day, in one little booklet or a pap, whatever, I promise you not everyone remembered that. No, not everyone remembered it. And the book they gave to us, I'm pretty sure a, half of us lost it. So... It wasn't properly done, in my opinion. I feel like they could have done a whole a better job at it. So. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. I think you were more serious about being there than he was. So. Right. Exactly. That's ridiculous. Um, right. Did you feel welcomed at all? Um. No, not really. I felt like I welcomed myself. It, I wasn't really welcomed by the school or the community. I I welcomed myself because I walked. Um, my uncle and I, we walked around the school, like before the moving day into the dorms, we walked around the school just to see what the school was like. So I did that myself. And um, as far as orientation goes, I just remember sitting in the hall and just being tired. And then this man comes to tell me that I need to go back home if I'm not serious about my education or if I don't plan on excelling the way I should just go back home. So, no, I did not feel welcome by the school. But I was like, you know what? This is just one person. This is just one experience. And four years is going to be nothing compared to just this one human being. So. Mm -hmm. um, Matthew, did your orientation experience follow a similar track or was it different? You know, I actually never made it to an, uh, to an orientation at my school other than I think one. And that was for like the clubs that were going around. Um, my situation was a little bit different. Um, my mother passed so you know i had to stay home to be closer to my family so i didn't really feel like i had the luxury to really go around and kind of audit things 
nor did I feel like I was kind of in the right frame of mind to be in a room full of people and try to interact with them, you know, with all the grieving process I was going through. So um, I just did it as a tried and true method from, you know, when I was little, uh, growing up in a, a very um, intense gang culture environment where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go out and just meet people, right? Let me just say hi to people. I did the same thing at Bethune-Cookman, the HUC I was at um, that I transferred from. I did the same thing at community colleges, and it, I did the same thing growing up, and it kept me alive. So when I went around and just talked to people, and I was like, you know, hey, what's your what's your impression of East Bay? You know, how do you feel? The feeling I got back was so negative. Um, I, I felt like, I, oh, man, I felt like a criminal when I walked on the campus, and I was just going around in the library, right? And um, I, I feel like I wasn't trying to bother anybody. It was people that were like, kind of look like they're in a social setting. I just wanted to, you know, just ask them, hey, you know, what do you guys think? And the look I got was, who is this guy, right? And then, of course, after I talked a little bit, they were like, oh, okay, cool, but it still didn't get any better. It was like, well, this school, everyone kind of keeps themselves. It's not really friendly. It's friendly if, you know, we have these advisors and that advisors, but it's not really friendly. This is called the commuter school. That was the first time I ever heard the commuter school referred to East Bay, and I was like, so you guys are okay with who just coming in here and not knowing who they are and like talking to them. And um, the more time I spend around just those people and different kind of people, I was like, okay, okay. Uh, we're going to turn lemons and lemonade, right? But I have been in South Central walking from uh, Crenshaw and King to 29th, or excuse me, to Normandy and King and received more love on any given day than what I got at East Bay. The my first few times on the campus before I went there. Yeah. If if not for my wife being the the leader that I've seen her to be, she would have never even inspired me to go to um to East Bay. I would have um just been like, you know what, let's let's try to find some other way or maybe just put my education on hold. But I'm like, if this woman is here, right, and if this woman could get some kind of empowerment, right? then, I mean, maybe we could change the commuter school into this is the place where people come to um, to find their way. Yeah, I'm really sorry that both of you had negative experiences and first impressions of CSU East Bay in the community. They really need to work on that. Um, but Gertrude, how was your experience first living in the United States? How was that like for you? Um, well... When I first came here, I was not, uh, I would just call myself, I was a child pretty much. And I was very afraid of a lot of things because I didn't know. Um, I was afraid to get on the bus. I was afraid to go outside by myself. And well, <laughs> I feel like that's a little bit because of where I come from because I'm not used to doing things by myself. I'm used to depending on my parents. And I'm in a city where I know nobody. I have family here, but they're not close to me. So I literally have to pick myself up and learn everything by myself. And in school, uh, because I felt like my first, my first orientation, just meeting people, it wasn't all the way positive. So I just did the A to B. I went to classes. I went back home. I went to the, the dining commons, I went back home. I went to the library, I went back home. I knew where the little things were, like the school stores or whatever, in case I needed something, I would go there, I would go back home. 
I didn't really like leave the campus much because I was just afraid. I was terrified because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what people were like outside the school. And uh, it was, it was, it took me a year to like properly tell myself that, okay, I'm not at home anymore. I'm not a child. And I need to like get out of my little comfort zone and start seeing things and start learning, properly learning about the city that I'm in. So I started to use the bus, like, well, not the, yeah, the bus, the shuttle at first, like, help me, guide me through downtown and get to know my little uh, local shopping centers, like, okay, this is where this is, this is where that is, and this is how you get from this place to that place. So it took me a while of, you know, a while before I got accustomed to being here and got um, used to the the transit system or the little travel system or what the school had available for students and what I needed to make myself feel safe and comfortable. Yeah. Gertrude, you mentioned that you felt alone um, and that this was your first time like being alone and living by your, by yourself. Um, could you tell me about how that experience was with this newfound independence? It was, it was strange. It was very strange because like I said, I went from being used to depending on my mom and my dad, and they do everything. Like, if I had to go to school, they take care of the bills. All I have to do is just go to school, just read your books. If I had, if I needed food, there's food downstairs in the kitchen. If I needed, if I had things I needed to take care of myself, like, mommy had everything that you need to, you need, just go to her. So, I had to learn a lot of these things by myself, and I didn't realize it at the time. But I was so sad and I was so depressed that I didn't even know I was. I just thought that, you know, I'm just being lazy or I'm just, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, what is the word? <laughs> I'm not using my full potential as I should. I'm not, you know, I'm not growing as fast as I should. I'm not growing as fast as my mates because you would hear things like, you know, this person came here by themselves, did it by themselves and no one helped them. So you need to learn to be like that. And uh, so it's like, okay, they have they have one head, not two heads. So you need to get you need to get it right. So I'm like, I beat myself a lot. Like, okay, I can't, I can't, I can't keep having this childlike mentality. I need to grow up. So for a while, because I missed home so much, and I didn't even realize what was happening because uh, mental health and it's not it's not a popular subject back home. It's something that is more like brushed over because, you know, you don't have, this is what they would tell us. You're not doing anything. You don't have a job. There's nothing in your life that is that important. All you have to do is go to school. So that is your only responsibility. So get it right. So I felt like I had to get it right. Otherwise, I'm disappointing A, B, C, and D and all of the above. So so it was it was like a hard transition, but I, I feel like I, I got through it nicely. Yeah. Um, were mental health resources made available to you? I didn't even know about it. <laughs> I did not know. It was more like a silent uh, silent battle between myself because I knew there was a healthcare uh, uh, center in school, but I just thought, you know, if I were sick, I would go there. If I wasn't feeling too well, I would go there, but... As far as mental health, I'm like, mm -mm. it's like, shut up. 
who who's who's gonna hear you? What the hell are you talking about? You know, it was just it was not something that crossed my mind at least quickly enough to say, okay, I need to speak to somebody about how I'm feeling. Mm, not at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that schools should be more aware that students may come from backgrounds where mental health isn't discussed? Absolutely, as much? and maybe there is maybe there is a place where people go that I just didn't know about at the time. But I feel like for internationals, especially people, I won't say just internationals, I'll say people coming from far, people who leave home, going to another state or wherever your story is, like it's not easy being in a, being comfortable in one, in your own little bubble and then have to, you just drawn out of it so quickly and so abruptly. And it's like, um, you need help. You're going to need people to guide. You're going to need people to, to, you know, say, I need help and to lean on sometimes. And I didn't have that at East Bay, at least not with the staff, not with the, not with the, yeah, not with the staff or anyone in school. I would say my best comfort during my first year was, you know, the friends that I made because I met other international students that were also struggling, that were also making it through, that were also, you know, going through their own little hardship. And, I'm, and I would just tell myself, they're doing it so I can do it as well. So there is no excuse for me not to, to there's no excuse for me to feel this way. As much as I feel sad from time to time, I need to make sure I get I get things done. I need to make sure I go to my class and make sure I have food to eat. I need to make sure that my accounts stay positive. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, did you feel supported by your school, like your professors, uh, offices, anything like that? So <laughs> my first year, first, second year, all the time I've been here, I feel like my worst, the worst experience that I've had was the advisors, counselors. I feel like I got the best advice in my last year in school. And there were there was only one advisor that I was told about for all international students. And her name is very popular. You can never forget that name, Linda Bibi. So getting an appointment with her was hard. Getting a sit-down with her was hard. And just the information she gave, it wasn't always accurate. So... I felt like I am lost. The person who I'm talking to is not exactly helping me out. So not only am I am I feeling all this pressure of just being in a new country, then I feel like I'm also wasting money because the classes that I'm taking might not even be the classes that I need. But at the time, I wasn't too worried because I felt like I was still trying to figure out, you know, where exactly I fit in. So when it came to the advisors, I, I felt like I didn't get good advice. I felt like the advisor that I had at the time did not help me, did not help me navigate the roadmap, the roadmap so I can fully accomplish what I needed to accomplish, at least in the right frame, right time frame. And um, it was usually maybe like a general education class or whatever. They would have someone come talk to us a little bit about the GE. GE work shouldn't say this is what you know this is this and this is that this is what you need to do or you need to focus on your major or this and the other but when it comes when it came to sitting down with her having a one-on-one conversation either about the the curriculum or the roadmap I'm sorry the GE whatever worksheet 
or just having a heart to heart conversation, it was impossible. It was almost close to impossible. It got to a point where I just gave up. I'm like, I can't keep making appointments week after week and coming out with not with nothing or BS. So I would just tell myself, I need to depend on people who have been through this and who are doing it better. So fortunately for me, I had a friend or two that were um, a class or two ahead of me. So I would just ask them, so how did you guys do this? And I would ask as far as, you know, the general education work, because we all have different uh, majors. So I can't take advice from someone in this department while I'm in that department. That doesn't really work like that. So for the first the two years, maybe two and a half years, I was like running around between places. I was in this department, that department, this department, that department. Like I pretty much completed my GE worksheet before I even went to my major because I was just that lost. Yeah, I'm really glad that you were able to have um, other students who had already gone through similar uh, experiences support you through that. Um, how many students were there per counselors? Um, so as far as I know, there's there has been only one um, one advisor for all international students. And there are thousands of us. I don't know the exact number, but there are a lot of us in East Bay. And for just one person alone to handle, that's a lot of that's a lot of work. So I can't imagine that every day in the office was pleasant for her. I can't imagine that she may be mixing, she probably was mixing up information or maybe reacting out of anger, maybe to different situations or what. So whatever they have her doing, that workload is not, that's ridiculous for one person to handle alone. So that is something I feel like East Bay needs to fix desperately. Because you have international students coming to speak to this woman and expecting sound advice and sound information. But most of the time we go there and we've come out more confused and more frustrated than we went in. So all I can say is just that it's sad. And the, the, the CIE office, I don't know how, I don't know how much help they have, period. So even count each student to say, okay, they divide us into this group or, you know, this is how, this is how much this person gets to handle. No, like it's just one, as far as I know, it's just been one person. So, and it's, it's not enough. And, and it makes you think that how, if, if someone's a PhD there that's responsible for this oversight, how many dissertations do you have to write to say that you need more than one person to um, help over 500 students? How many um, uh, classes do I need to take? How many master's degrees do I need to look at this and say one person cannot fill this role for all these many people if we're seriously about cleaning? That's like my house being dirty, right? To the point where there's, there's clutter and everything like that everywhere I step right? And somebody comes in there and says, oh, well, I'll help you clean. Oh, will you? Well, how are you going to help me clean? And they just open some windows. And that's it. Yeah. Open some windows and they, they point out to where the brooms are. Yeah. Go on. Enjoy. And then they watch you clean it, right? By yourself. And then they say, man, you know, if, I, if that was me, I would clean this a lot faster. What? <laughs> 
it's, it's like, at what point, right, did you guys have the good intent to come in here to clean, right? And then you said the best thing that you need, right, is just to open some windows. We good. Let's let some light in here. <laughs> let the leaves come in. Then right? Yeah. Coming, you know? <laughs> there's not enough nature in this baby, you know? <laughs> Yeah, schools really need to work on the way that they support students. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's just an issue where you have people that, um, and I'll just say it like this, you have people that have an overinflated opinion of themselves that just because they have a piece of paper that makes you better than anyone. It only gives you expertise. It doesn't make you better than anyone. So when you're in these conversations with people and they say, well, I have a PhD, so that's, that's why I can do this. Gregory Christensen had a PhD, and we see what awesome stuff he was saying with that. Oh. Right? Oh, man. Eugenics, guys. <sighs> Woo, eugenics for everyone. That explains his and – and I had a conversation with somebody uh, in, uh, in the school, and that was in a position of leadership, that said, oh, well, he was teaching something that wasn't in his purview. No, no, no. He was teaching economics, and I believe he used eugenics as a way to say this is why the economics in the world are the way that they are. So uh, clearly we have a PhD, right, saying that because he has a PhD, that he has the expertise to now tell you why there's this racial, <laughs> this racial uh, uh, disparity in the world between wealth and non-wealth. And, and it's, it's easily justified. You're just dark-skinned. You're just coming from Africa. You're just naturally stupid, according to eugenics. Right. But again, a PhD does not do anything except give you expertise in the matter. And why, when you're on this campus, you think that because you have a PhD, you can silence people that have more expertise than you do in a particular area. I don't care if I'm out of school. If I say certain things and do certain things, that should not be okay. Because I'm either inciting a panic, right? Or I'm saying something that could be injurious to other people or I'm dealing with them in a way that would be counter to what their culture uh, dictates is respectful and because we most of us were raised by parents that had to bust their hump and work themselves almost to the bone just to get us to these certain places right our parents tell us well you know what sometimes you're just gonna have to eat this or sometimes you're just gonna have to keep your head down that doesn't get anything done Imagine if Mahatma Gandhi had just said, oh, well, you know, let's, let's just keep our head down. Or imagine if uh, Guadalupe Hidalgo said, you know, let's just keep our head down. Uh, uh, Pancho Villa, um, uh, uh, Barack Obama, um, uh, Malcolm X. Imagine if all these people that we read about, that they make days and, 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 and books for, right? If they had just said, um, well, you know what? I'm, the nail that stands out gets hammered, and I don't want to be hammered. Right. So what kind of leadership are we cultivating at this school is the ultimate question. Are we cultivating leadership at all? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, for international students, there's this thing that's, uh, quote unquote, like staying in status. Um, could you tell me about what that means? And like what going out of status means? So um, when you go out of status, so basically that means that you broke some kind of law or some kind of rule uh, against immigration that you're not supposed to. So I went out of status in school because I took one too many classes, one too many online class. And I didn't know until it was too late. 
So I wasn't warned. No one told me I was doing something wrong. No one told me to like slow down. No one said, oh, hold on a sec. You know, you know, uh, your schedule looks a little off. Here's how you can fix it. So I believe that the CIE office are responsible for for warning the students or warning their students because it's the Center for International Education. That's literally the office. But I just got an email that told me you're out of status. And it, it, I was very confused. So I made an appointment and I was told because I had too many online classes and it's it's a violation, it's against the immigration rules or code or whatever. And they said that this is something that was covered during orientation. And I don't remember half the stuff that was said during orientation. Wife, please, please, real quick, I have to say this, right? How many PhDs, you tell them something one time and they remember it, like they've got an eidetic memory. Tell them one time they, they remember it. This, this school alone has multiple uh, workshops and multiple meetings over the same stuff to make sure that there's retention, right? So being told by an advisor, well, you, you, you should have heard the first time, right? What? The PhD's here that just got an identical memory. Oh, the first time you told me, I memorized it. For a, a <laughs> hour-long meeting, you just remembered everything verbatim to, to actuate it. If that was the case, there wouldn't be things like Gregory Christensen being let go, would there? Yeah, but that's the thing, though, because she also told me that, well, it wasn't just said, it was also covered in the book, in the book. And I can tell you that I don't know where that book was at that time. It was probably sitting somewhere under the covers or a book or something. I don't know where it was. So even for me to go back and reference that day of what was said, I couldn't do it. But Even though your advisor was supposed to be the auditory um, uh, uh, recap of what's in that book and what's on that orientation. So we go to the advisor for, you know, just to, to get more clarification for things. That's what right, but I didn't have, I didn't have an advisor to go to, to tell me, okay, this is how you're doing and this is where you're at and this is what you need to do. Or, you know, this is my, oh, I can tell my advisor, oh, this is my schedule for next quarter. How does it look? Do you think I'm doing the right thing? Like I said, I literally just went off my own feeling. And the reason why I was taking so much online classes is because I didn't want, I didn't feel comfortable on campus anymore. I didn't want to be on campus anymore. I didn't feel safe on campus anymore. I just wanted to be away from just the school atmosphere and the school culture. So when that happened, I was so discouraged because I didn't know what to do. And when I went to see my advisor, she said, well, she said, I'm like, okay, well, now the damage has been done. No one warned me about it. And I know for a fact that other schools wonder international students my sister went to a university in oakland holy names and she almost fell into the same situation but she did it because the the advisor the their international office told her hey look at your schedule look at what you're doing there's it's off you need to change this quickly otherwise you will fall out of status with immigration but no one did that for me no one warned me so when it happened to me when I told my sister about it, when I told my uncle, like, why do you, like, this is weird. It looked like it was my fault that I didn't know about it. And I'm like, how can you put this kind of blame on me? Because I didn't know. It's not like someone warned, warned me and said, okay, you need to slow down or you need to stop. So that's like, that was, and at the time, because of everything that was happening, I didn't 
think fast enough or I didn't, pro- I didn't process it fast, fast enough to say, okay, this wasn't my fault. Then, you know, I sh- someone should have told me something because around me, there were like, there were like two other people that were going through the same thing. So I'm like, okay, we just messed up. So we just have to pay the fee now. We just have to go through the process of applying through immigration and do this and that to just get back our status. And it's never, it was never a guarantee. Yes. And I feel like that's a tactic, right? That the school uses to bleed more money out of these interest, these international students. We're going to give you so little support that when you invariably mess up, we're going to tax you further, right? No different from a credit card, uh, no, not a regular credit card company, an evil predatory credit card company that says, hey, we're going to give you so little support that when you mess up or you don't look at this, you don't look at that, we're going to overcharge you or we're going to charge you this, this, that, and third. And then we're going to use our policies to uh, justify it. But that's the part I don't understand because how does the school benefit from us paying uh, the U.S. immigration a sum of 300 or $400 for paperwork that they could easily say no to. I mean, I'm sure there, there are probably things that I'm not really thinking about right now. I'm not really seeing, but. So not, not to cut you off, but if you think of it like this, right? You Let's say you stay here, you follow the status, you never got your degree. All you did was just give the school a bunch of your money for free. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too. And yeah, okay. Cause then it just for me it went downhill from there because I I fell out of status and I got on probation because I just literally I just stopped caring I didn't go to classes I just literally stopped caring I was on probation for like two three quarters and and the reason I don't even I don't even remember how it happened now but when I when I applied uh, to get my status fixed. I was told that, you know, I thought everything was fine. I thought, you know, it's going to come back in two, three weeks. You know, you're back in status. You're back in shape. Let's go. Let's get it. And um, I get an email saying your application was denied because you refused to respond to immigration. And I'm like, respond? What are you talking about? I didn't get any letter. Like, what response was I supposed to give? And I go to the office. And I actually, no, I call the office. And I'm like, I don't understand. What do you mean response? I get this email from you that she said, well, they sent you a letter. Didn't you get a letter? I'm like, no, I'm in school. I go check the mailbox. I didn't see anything. I go, I call my uncle at home. They didn't get anything for me. He said, no. And this lady tells me that they got something in school for me. She has something in the office for me. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me that I, I have something to do, but I have not done it? Why didn't anyone say anything to me? It's not like my phone is broken. It's not like I was lost. I'm still here. No one said anything to me. You guys allowed me go through. You guys made me feel like I'm fine, but I'm not fine. Instead, you I keep crucifying myself. Or you crucified me pretty much. And all she said was, well... So I'm like, okay, what is done is done. So I'm I'm telling myself there's no point dwelling in what could have or what should have. I need to know what to do now. So I go sit her, meet her, I sit down with her. I'm like, so what do I do now? Do I what what are my options? She said I could apply again, but the chances of getting accepted or getting approved is very slim. So I'm like, so what do I do? She said, if I were you, I would go back home. I would drop out. So I'm like, what? 
I'm like, I only have, I only have a few more classes left, and I should just go back home and reapply to the school. No, that no. makes no sense to me. Sweetie, please, 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 for the people in the back, right? Proverbially, that did not mm -hmm. hear you. What did this person advise you to do? <laughs> she said, "Go back home." And I would reapply. I should just reapply to the school. I should drop out. Drop out. She told yeah. him drop. An, an academic advisor told a student to drop out. I worked at the registrar's office at my HBCU. I can tell you right now, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do that under all circumstances. You want to leave the school? No, 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 no. There's a whole process for you to find for, for advisors and other advisors on top of advisors to talk to you and convince you why you should not leave the school. We got more Reese's for you. We got this for you. We got that for you. We got the shiny whistles for you in the back. You ain't even seen those yet, man. So but her purpose was for saying that was more like... Drop out. Yeah. <laughs> her purpose was why saying that was more like to... to uh, should I say a reset? Like a reset thing? So just reapply again and have your status be wiped clean or something like that. So I, I leave the office. And so obviously now I'm just, it's just like going from one situation to the next. It's like more and more downhill. And I'm just like, I don't want, I'm, I'm telling myself I'm tired. Like I'm so tired of all the issues of all the, the troubles and all the problems one after the other. It's always something going on in this school. There's always something. It's not even my personal life. It's my academic life now that is really, really suffering. And I have to explain to my father, who is the primary breadwinner of my home and who is paying for all this A, B, C, and D, taking care of four other siblings that I have, to explain to him why this is happening. So I'm just like, I'm at the point where like I am just literally, physically, emotionally, I'm just exhausted. And I'm just like, I might as well go back home. Like, what's the point? Like, I should just start again elsewhere. But the only thing that kept me going was the fact that, you know, I kept, I would just tell myself that he spent all this money that he sent me here and he's doing all this and he's not, he's probably not the only one who was sacrificed. Everyone else has sacrificed with him. So I can't just leave it at that. I only have a few more classes left. So just stick it out, just suck it up. And when I, when I went out of status, it was like, because I'm out of status, there's certain things that I do not qualify for anymore automatically. So usually uh, once you graduate from school, you get the option of applying for OPT, where you get like a year grace period where to figure out what you want to do, where you want to go, how you want to move, move along in your life, what career path or what, what are your options. For me, I don't get that option anymore because I'm out of status, my status is now null and void. So I'm like in a weird space where I am something, but I'm also nothing. So I just have to get myself. So my main focus at that point was just get out of academic probation, and which is what I focused on, which is what I did. But I still maintain the stance that I do not want to be on campus. I, I would still take online classes because now there's no point. The, the here, just being on campus made me feel sick. So that was my, like, should I say out of status story? <laughs> yeah. In general, what support do you wish you had received? I wish I had advisors that actually cared. That actually cared about me. I actually cared about my success. That is what I wish I had. 
not just peers or students that you know going through your stuff because I can't keep going to a student or a friend to say this is what's happening with me or this is what's happening to me because they're going through their own struggles too. So I can't keep burning someone else because with their own on top of their own issues. So I wish I had advisors that actually cared about students, that actually cared about the well-being of their own students, not just a few or their own pockets. So that is what I wish I had. People to advise me, people to warn me, people to tell me ahead of time that, okay, you're on the right path or you're not doing this properly or, you know, we can do better here. We can do better in this area. I wish I had that. Maybe some of the things that I went to could have been prevented. Mm -hmm. um, what have you taken away from your experience or what do you wish others could take away from your experience? The first thing I would say to people coming to the school, any school, East Bay, whatever, I would say educate yourself. Don't expect someone to tell you what it is. Go and look for the answers yourself. Talk to the people that you came to the school with. Go in groups. Go find go find a place where you feel comfortable. Make a, whether it's a social gathering or whatever in the library. Or find that one person. And it's not going to be easy, trust me. You find that one person that actually says, okay, I care about you. Because it took me years to figure out that, you know, you don't just get one advisor. There are other people in place to help you out. And the way I found out was because I spent over four years in school and I started getting emails from this, this department or this center. I'm like, hey, what is this? So I reach out. I'm like, they're like, oh, this, there are people here to help students. And no one, I didn't know about this. Why didn't I know about this? It's like, you just see little signs here and there. You don't really pay attention. So it's like, I would tell students coming in, educate yourself. Find out what everything is. If something looks different, suspicious to you, what is that? Find out what it is. Talk to people. Talk to your peers, not just peers above you, people in your class. Talk to local students because local students also have more, they have more information than you do. Because even though it may just be for them, find out what is for them that maybe could help you. Maybe you could talk to the right person on the right day, the right time, and you can find a way. Just keep asking questions. That's what I, That's the biggest thing. Just ask questions every day. Ask questions wherever you are. Ask your professors. Ask. Uh, go to an office and just ask questions. Whether it's the administration's office, the financial aid office, cashier's office, someone is bound to give you some kind of valid information. I don't believe everyone is all bad in the school. I, I think there are a lot of bad eggs, but at least it has to be one good one. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff that happens when you have one person to handle, like, what, a thousand students at least, right? Five thousand students. Five, oh, my God. Yes. I remember, I remember there was a meeting. It was like, it's not a thousand. There's more than that in school in East Bay. So, East Bay, so, there is a lot. So you're telling me that this student feels like if they were going to tell any other student to come here, don't trust your advisors because they may lead you to ruin and that's okay. And mm -hmm. and it took this long for somebody to say, well, I didn't know this was going on. 5,000 students for one person. And another thing I wanted to say is this, in order to help international students, don't just pair us together. Because I know it seems, I know it's easier to say, you know, link yourself with people who you're familiar with, 
people you know that come from maybe the same place that you do but that's not the point of being in the university and being in school is to socialize so in the dorms i was with international students i was in a freshman dorm with just international students i don't think they should do that anymore i feel like you should mix everyone up freshmen local freshmen international freshmen mix everyone up because we have to learn about where we're at anyways so if we make friends with local students, with people who are native to the area, it would be easier for us to get adjusted to where we're at, to to who, you know, to the people who we're, we're living with, to the people whose lands we're in, pretty much. So, you know, it would, get, it would allow us to see, to have more respect for where we are and have more love for where we are. Yeah. Um, Gertrude, I wanted to ask you about how you felt once you graduated and how you felt in that moment where you were like, I'm done with CSUV Spay, I'm out of here, like, how did you feel? Oh, wow, that's a great question. So, I remember walking from school back home, and this was during the graduation period, and I saw, like, you know how all the cars, the ceremony, people walking, you see people in their robes. So for a moment, for like a brief moment, I felt really bad. I was like, I... I wish I could be doing this. I wish I could have invited my parents to come and watch me walk and, you know, be a part of this uh, enjoyment, so to speak, and invite all my family in the area. But then it was like, after that moment, then it was like a little flashback of everything that I've been through just to get out of this school. I'm like, mm -mm -mm. I started walking faster. I'm like, nope, need to get out. Nope. So for me, graduation was like bittersweet. Like I wish, you know, I could have walked because I, I wanted to, you know, experience, you know, this is, this is not really silly, but coming here, it was like, um, it was like a little high school, uh, high school musical moments where everyone throws their hat in the air. Like, oh my gosh, I made it, whatever, whatever, whatever. I thought it would be like that, but I'm like, no, 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 no. After what this school put me through, they don't deserve, I don't, you know, I just felt, I just felt terrible. I'm like, at the end of the day, this, this degree is just a piece of paper and it's just proof that I went to this school and that, that was it. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. The moment I step my foot off the, the campus, I'm like, this should be the last time. I don't want anything from you. I don't want anything associated with you. And I am absolutely done. I'm just like at least I can I can send this degree to my mom and take the picture to send it to my dad and just be like you know I did it we did it you know all these years all this suffering all these yellings it's finally over so that was pretty much it for me. Yeah, um, did you walk in graduation? No, I did not walk. I decided not to walk. I did not want to walk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. From your experience, could you tell me what it means to be an international student? Hmm. I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like um, international students. I would say we're aliens. I guess in this country, we're classified as aliens. So we have... Um, well, this is just me speaking based on my own experience. So if nobody out there quote me, 
bring them come up with me or whatever. So I feel like we have opportunities, but they're very limited. And everything that we have to do has to do with money. If we're not cashing out somewhere or paying something or filling out this form, we're basically in like a weird position of the in-between where we can do it, but we also can't do it unless if we have the right resources or we know the right people to help us. So being an international student, um, it's hard. It has its challenges, obviously. And um, I've always, I guess Matthew would say, will always say this, but like, I always, I like calling myself international. I like to tell myself I'm international because I speak uh, multiple languages and I come from a whole different side of the world. So I'm like, I'm international. I'm proud of it. But at the same time, it's also like um, the moment you say you're an immigrant or you're an international student, the questions that come with it, some of them are a little uncomfortable. It's, yeah, especially, um, uh, I don't know, it's it's like, um, uh, oh, are you legal? Oh, what, how did you get here? Oh, um, can you work here? Oh, are you allowed to do this? Like, there's so many questions and, and sometimes they're rightfully asked by the right people. And sometimes by the wrong people, it's like, who are you to ask me these questions? So it's like a mixed, mixed feeling. So I don't, I don't, there are days where I don't really mind being international student. I'm proud to be an immigrant. I'm proud of where I come from. At the same time, it's also kind of like a hindering, hindrance to me, like, you know, of what I can do or what I can't do in this country. So. Yeah. Um, and then Gertrude, could you tell me about what college means to you? Mm, college is just another step. It's just another stepping stone for me. And I'm pretty sure just like everything else in life, you, you, you're born, you go to your kindergarten, you go to high school, then you go to college. What's next? Probably grad school, you get your next degree, you get a job and the cycle keeps going. So that's just college. It's just another stepping stone. What is important is just the education or the wisdom or the people you meet in this step. So in this environment that you have yourself in. So for me, coming to college was just, it was a place where I felt that I should be able to spread my wings and I should be able to meet the right people in order to do what I need to do for myself and for my environment. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way, the way I hoped it would, but I felt like the best thing, everything happened for the right reasons. So, um, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't perfect, but it was my experience and would I want to do it again? No. <laughs> would I change anything? Some things maybe. So, um, I don't know, college is just, it's just, a, it's just, a, I don't know, it's a building, it's a place, but it's the people and what you learned out of it that really matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Is there anything that you would like to say to CSU East Bay, like if you had the chance? Just do better for your international students. I don't know what local students go through or, you know, the stress that comes with being local or just how they deal with them. But I know with international students, just do better. It doesn't matter where we come from, whether it's in Asia or Europe or Africa, just do better. We need more resources. We need more help. We need more advisors. We need we need more of everything because for the money that we pay into the school, it's not enough. Literally, it's either international students are self-supporting themselves or there is someone behind them who is breaking their back to make sure that they're as surviving in this country or they actually have an education or they can actually say, okay, I, I took something from here. I learned something from here. Let me take it back home and help my community. So just do better for us because it's not just us that is benefiting. It is everyone else behind us that is also benefiting from this education that we're coming to acquire. So just be better, do better. Hire more people, hire us. We want to work. We came here to work. We came here to, to be part of the college experience. Don't just limit our workspace to hard labor. We don't just do hard labor. So that's just that's just me. Ugh, that's just me. So just hire more people. We need more advisors. We need we need more counselors. We need more of everything. We need more scholarships. Like stuff like that would go a really long way because we pay a lot of money. Yeah, thank you for that. I think CSU East Bay and other schools as well definitely need to uh, do more work in order to ensure that their international students feel safe and supported. Um, because there, there is a lot of work to do. Um, and I hope, I hope things get better in the future. But yeah, I think on that note, we can conclude part one of the interview. Uh, stay tuned for part two, which is Matthew's uh, college experience. <laughs>